There's a big reason why people in Missouri call St. Louis County the big kahuna of statewide elections. That's because there are more voters in St. Louis County than any other part of the state. So that's one of the big reasons why it'll play such an outsized role in the highly watched U.S. Senate race between U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill and Attorney General Josh Hawley. Speaking on Friday, St. Louis County Board of Elections' Eric Fay says voter registration so far in St. Louis County are in line with other midterm elections. I would say it's about the same as it usually is in the run-up to an election. Obviously, there's an influx right now, but at this point, it does not look any greater than uh, a normal midterm election. On this edition of Politically Speaking, we talk about how voter turnout in St. Louis County will be so crucial in the 2018 election cycle. We also talk about former Secretary of State Jason Kander's announcement that he's bowing out of the Kansas City mayor's race. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufius Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufius Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis today is colleague Joe Manis. And we're going to talk a little bit about an issue that you might have seen a lot on your television screens over the past couple weeks. No, it's not the Illinois governor's race. Thankfully, we don't have to cover that monstrosity of money. We're talking about the issue of pre-existing conditions and how both U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill and Attorney General Josh Hawley are, are trying to frame that as we go into pretty close to the home stretch of the Senate race. Yeah, and one thing I want to make clear, uh, without tooting our horn here, or my horn, well, I wrote a story about pre-existing conditions in Claire McCaskill a year ago this month <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> during one of her town halls, one of her first town halls. This was in Washington, Missouri. My point being is that uh, whether one agrees or disagrees with her, she's been focusing on this issue for a year. I think that there are a couple reasons she's focusing on this issue. Number one, Josh Hawley doesn't have a voting record, but he does have a record as attorney general. And him signing on to a lawsuit that would basically get rid of the Affordable Care Act is part of Josh Hawley's public record, and that's something that she can she, she can point out. The other thing that I think is is on the political side of it, it would not make a lot of sense for Claire McCaskill to run ads in Missouri, where President Trump is still reasonably popular, to say Josh Hawley will stand with Trump 100% of the time, vote for Claire McCaskill because that would be bad. Like if this was Illinois, that would be what Claire McCaskill would be doing, or if this was a situation where the president was unpopular, like in 2006, we would be seeing that line of attack and not the pre-existing condition issue. Is that fair to say, Joe? Well, to some degree. A couple of things I want to clarify here. He, she was already actually already talking about pre-existing conditions before he joined the lawsuit, um, A. And B, one of the reasons that she says she's doing this, and in some ways I think I believe her, is that because I covered her very first town hall in April 2017. And at that town hall, which was in Jefferson County, the top issue of, that was brought up by people in the audience, health care. 
And so she had told me by the time I caught up with her in Washington, Missouri in October, and I was getting her on some other stuff, but I but it struck me the fact that all these people in the audience were talking about health care. She's and at this point she had been had held close to fifty town halls. She had said virtually every town hall it was health care. So I wanna give uh, Senator McCaskill, a little bit more than a 15 or 30 second television ad to explain why she's focusing on this issue and more specifically why she's criticizing Josh Hawley. Well, I think it's really important for voters to understand what Josh Hawley is doing. Josh Hawley made a decision as the elected attorney general of his state to use Missouri taxpayer money to sue to do away with every consumer protection in the law for people who have health insurance, not just pre existing conditions. But the things we put in there that said you got to spend 80 cents of every dollar you get on health care rather than CEO salaries and more claims adjusters to deny claims. Things like you can't charge somebody more just because they're a woman. Yes, I know women have babies, but men have something to do with it. It's not fair that women should have to pay a lot more for health insurance than men. That provision goes away. He is, he's trying to get rid of all the subsidies for people who get insurance on the exchanges. He did not decide, I'm going to go after the subsidies or I'm going to go after this consumer protection that I think is um, wrong. He's going after all of it. And that was a decision he made. And I don't think most Missourians want those protections to go away. And so if he doesn't want those protections to go away, he needs to withdraw from the lawsuit. What I think is really interesting when, again, you're talking about it from a political perspective, is McCaskill is taking something that Republicans usually used as a bludgeon against Democrats, the Affordable Care Act, and using it to attack Holly by saying, you know, this person is taking away all the things about the Affordable Care Act that don't generate a lot of controversy. In some ways, it's a, it's a really ingenious move. And you've seen other Democrats, other than McCaskill, in states, again, where Trump is reasonably popular, adopt this strategy. Because, I mean, you're seeing that in Indiana. You're seeing it in West Virginia. Uh, not as much in North Dakota, although Heidi Heikamp may be, uh, with her last-minute uh, pitch to try to save her seat, may go this route. But, yeah, I think it's it's become kind of a common Democratic thread, which is intriguing because often the Democrats are less successful than the Republicans in having one coherent message. They always, it's like always scattershot uh, among Democratic candidates around the country. But on health care, they're kind of on the same page. Now, this issue has been used by both McCaskill and aligned third-party groups that are Democratic-leaning to attack Holly for weeks. This has been what Holly has said to reporters whenever he's asked about the lawsuit and the pre-existing condition issue. You know, if she really cared about Missourians, she would cross the aisle to bring down insurance costs for folks so that those who have pre-existing conditions don't have to pay 145% premium increases in order to have insurance. I mean, look, there is no excuse for the health care system that we currently have in this country. 145% increase in premiums in this state since 2013. Uh, people cannot afford their insurance. That is a direct result of Senator McCaskill and Obamacare. There's no reason for it. I mean, she should do what she said she would do, which is be bipartisan, cross the aisle. We need to get reforms that will bring down the cost of insurance, that will give uh, families more options on the exchanges and cover people with pre-existing conditions. And also, I think, cover uh, young adults 
on their parents' insurance up to age 26. So I support the, um, I, Senator Alexander has a bill now that would, uh, that would require, that would continue the pre-existing coverage mandate and I think the, uh, the young adults mandate, I'm, I am for that. Uh, every, you know, I assume Senator McCaskill's for that. She should announce her support immediately. But it is just not true that the people of Missouri should have to pay these massive health care costs in order to get pre-existing condition coverage. And the only reason Senator McCaskill saying that's true is because she's more interested in protecting Barack Obama's political legacy than in actually getting health care costs down. It's absurd. Now, Holly has released an ad where he talks about how one of his sons has a pre-existing condition and how he supports pre-existing conditions. You know, a lot of media outlets have criticized that ad for various reasons. What do you what do you make of Holly's response to this? Because I think it's probably similar to what a lot of Republicans are saying. What, what, what say you, Joe? Well, to be fair, the fact is Republicans control Congress. If they wanted to have protections for pre-existing conditions, they could have passed something. They could have passed something the last couple of years. They, you know, the bills that narrowly were defeated, including the infamous one where uh, John McCain voted against it at the last minute and killed it, those bills would not have protected pre-existing conditions. Now, there is a measure, and he's talking about Lamar Alexander's bill, but the fact is that the bills that have come before the Senate so far, the major bills uh, that the Republicans have looked at that had Republican sponsorship, it, it required coverage of people with pre-existing conditions, but it did not require coverage of the pre-existing condition. So in other words, if you had diabetes, you could get insurance, but not to cover your diabetes. I mean, so... That's where you've had some Democrats, including McCaskill, saying, well, that bill's worth nothing. Uh, the Republicans have been grappling with this for some time because of, for various philosophical reasons, and without getting too much in the weeds, they have not been able to come up with a bill that their caucus, enough of them, will support. There are some uh, Republicans in Congress who don't believe that uh, the government should be involved in health care at all. That's also true in Jeff City. There are some who want uh, government involvement, but to be limited. There are some who want government involvement, but only in certain ways. And the insurance companies, frankly, have sway with both parties, but in, in different ways. So the bottom line is, I have asked Holly repeatedly, how would you get a bill through that would cover people with pre-existing conditions, the pre-existing condition. Now, he's recently come up with a proposal that he's actually put in an op-ed that ran in uh, the Springfield News Leader. Just which, we'll, a, which we'll post in this post that yeah, you listened to. With, just a few days ago, um, where he was proposing uh, some options. But so far, none of, that, uh, none of those proposals have gotten through Congress, and it's unclear if they're going to take it up next year or not. Well, it depends on if the, the Democrats take over one of the chambers. I, I My prediction is if the Democrats take over the House, um, I, I don't really see any major health care legislation going through. I well, just, because you'll have a split. The Democrats in the House will propose things 
and the Republicans controlling the Senate will will block it. Although, to be fair, frankly, the Republicans controlling the House now have passed bills that were very restrictive and did not help pre-existing conditions, and the Senate Republicans in the Senate blocked that as well. So it's been an internal fight, even without the politics. Now, before we move on to our next topic, uh, Josh Hawley did release a new ad basically doubling down on his support for Brett Kavanaugh's nomination. Which has been a key issue of his for months, Which I mean, we, to be and, fair. And we've talked about this on this show a lot. Um, it's interesting to me, because I mentioned this on the last show, you have not seen any paid advertisements or a lot of social media activity um, from McCaskill's camp criticizing Holly for continuing to support Brett Kavanaugh, even after all these allegations. Correct. Um it's a lot different in other states where, again, Trump is not as popular as in Missouri. Do we know any more about whether McCaskill is holding off on this on the Supreme Court issue because she fears that it's actually galvanizing Republicans to come out and vote? Or is it is it is it what we talked about last week? She feels the pre-existing condition issue that we're talking about now is just a better way at, at, at maneuvering through this election. I think it's probably a mix of both. I think when you're dealing with with Kavanaugh, I mean, and she has said this for months. I mean, I've interviewed her several times about this, where she said it was a lose-lose situation. She figured she lost people either way. Now, frankly, I don't think she had much choice. I think she had to come out against him because her base would have been so demoralized. And that's what's happened to Democrats in other states. But that said... I think she figures that, A, her key reasons and public reasons for opposing Kavanaugh do not deal specifically with the uh, allegations of sexual misconduct that some women have lodged against him from years, no, years nor has past. She, nor has she cited abortion rights either. It, no. was all about, it was all about, as we said, undisclosed well, money although, and politics. Well, although she did talk to me about the abortion rights angle a couple of weeks ago. So I do have her telling me that, yes, it, she believes that uh, his uh, confirmation would affect Roe v. Wade. But that is not her main—she made that point clear to some students at UMSL. But her chief message has been his support for— Apparent support for allowing unidentified uh, campaign disclosures of unlimited amounts to uh, outside groups known as, quote, dark money, and some of his other rulings that she believes are too pro-corporate and not for the average worker. And now it's time for Politically Speaking's election analysis, where we break down what will be on your ballot on November 6th. So last week on the show, we talked about the importance of Jefferson County. This week, I want to talk about St. Louis County, which I would say is arguably the most important county, especially for Democrats. It's the big kahuna. Because there are more people that live in St. Louis County than any other county in the entire state of Missouri. Democrats cannot win anymore without having a really large turnout out of St. Louis County. And And a, a high percentage. And a high percentage. And... What I actually spoke with Eric Fay, the Democratic Director of Elections in St. Louis County, about two hours ago. I'm doing a story on what the various counties are seeing as far as voter registration and absentee balloting. And he basically told me that the registrations are pretty normal for a midterm election. He hasn't seen anything out in the ordinary. 
And one theory that I, I, I posed to him was that, you know, the county executive's race was was definitely hot in the primary. In the general election, not as active. Even some state legislative races like Jill Shoup's re, uh, re-election in the 24th Senatorial District, that was one of the biggest state legislative races in 2014. This year, her Republican opponent has literally raised no money. And I asked him, is that affecting maybe the the registration? And because there's no big local race in St. Louis County, maybe you're not seeing as many uh, voter registration applications. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, when there is, a, for lack of a better term, a hot local contest, you know, those those campaigns normally, you know, tend to tend to maybe not so much drive turnout, but they they energize folks to come in and maybe vote absentee a little earlier or for more people to vote absentee or things like that. Um, but our our main concern this election is the length of the ballot. We have uh, the longest ballot we've ever had in St. Louis County. It's a minimum of uh, 45 choices uh, for any St. Louis County voter. There are 15 propositions on the ballot in St. Louis County. So it's a very long ballot, and we really are encouraging voters to prepare themselves uh, for when they go vote. We have a sample ballot look up on our website. We'll be mailing a sample ballot to every single voter a couple weeks before the election, and we really encourage people to take a look at their sample ballot, read it over, mark it, take it with them to the polling place, and use it as a guide uh, as they vote, um, because otherwise, uh, if first time they're seeing this stuff is on election day, it's going to take them quite a while to vote that ballot. Joe, what do you make of Eric Faye's comments? Well, I think it's telling. I think it also underscores something that you and I talked about, I mean, like last winter. My speculation, I still believe it, is that one of the reasons that the Republicans did not put a strong county executive candidate on the ballot is that they decided that it was more important to try to uh, knock off U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill than it was to put a candidate in St. Louis County, which which might gin up St. Louis County turnout. If the percentage turnout in St. Louis County is lower compared to other parts of the state, that's really bad news for Claire McCaskill. Now, let's compare what's happening to, to in St. Louis County to St. Charles County, which is the fastest growing county in the state. It, it is. It, I would say it is a Republican-leaning county. I wouldn't say it's a Republican stronghold because there are a lot of Democrats that live there. Probably not enough for like them to win countywide office yet, but not an insignificant amount. A lot of the younger voters moving in are Democrats. This is what Director of Elections Rich Christmer told me a couple hours ago about what he's seeing with voter registration. This is heavier than an, an average. Uh, off-year election, presidential election, it's uh, very, very brisk. We usually get maybe a hundred or so a day. Normally, we're getting hundreds and hundreds a day. Uh, voter, new voter, new brand new voter registrations. Do you have any? Do you have any uh, theories why that's happening? I there's some issues on the ballot, but I really think uh, in midterm elections, there's not that much uh, about uh, elections that. That really uh, hits people, but I, I think with the with the information on uh, what's going on in Washington uh, today and the last few weeks has generated uh, a larger interest 
because you're, usually in midterm elections, oh, you see signs, you see ads, things like that. But uh, there is uh, there's a lot of uh, interest in what's going on in Washington right now, and I think that might be generating it. We do have issues on the ballot, but I I, I think it's uh, more about hearing about pol- uh, uh, elections on the national scene rather than campaign ads or signs. Now, we don't know if the uptick in registrations in St. Charles County is coming from Republicans or Democrats because there is no voter registration by party in Missouri. But Krismer is citing the national environment, and I have to imagine the Kavanaugh stuff is playing a role for both Democratic and Republican voters. What does it mean that St. Charles County may be seeing a, a uptick in interest in this election? Well, it depends. If it's younger people who are turning in uh, voter registrations are showing up in the St. Louis County offices, it could mean, um, because as a block, younger people tend to skew more progressive, that could mean good news for Democrats. However, if it's other people or if it's people voting early for absentee, um, that could be strong news for Republicans because, as a rule, Republicans tend to have more reliable strong turnout in the midterm elections than Democrats do. Democrats tend to be mercurial. And in 2010 and in 2014, there is no dispute that in Missouri, hundreds of thousands of Democrats didn't bother to turn out, and that did help hurt Democrats statewide. Now, going back to St. Louis County, um, it had a very active primary season, which we've talked about on this show, you know, in June, June, July, and August. St. Louis County Executive, St. Louis County Executive Steve Stinger narrowly won his primary. I would say at this point he's favored to win another four years in office. And right after he, the right after he basically won his election in August, he was talking with reporters about the need to come together with the idea that St. Louis County Democrats are going to play a large role in the McCaskill-Holly election and some ballot initiatives. This is what he had to say. You know, what you do is you come together and you work together. And we all have, as Democrats, we have something to face in November. And it's an important challenge. And we all need to face it together. We all need to come together. And there's just also this day-to-day business that we're going to do in the county together. So I think we have plenty of opportunities to work together. My door is always open. I mean, I consider myself a very friendly person and able to, you know, work well with others. We work well with regional leaders every day. We work well with the council, you know, when when there isn't, you know, an issue of disagreement. But I think we have plenty of opportunities. So that was August 7th. Flash forward to this week and even before then, I don't think the relations between the council and Stanger have gotten any better. And in fact, this week, the council voted five to two to remove a requirement for, for construction contracts for people bidding on construction project projects, that they had to be linked to a apprenticeship program, which often are run by labor unions. I, I can tell you, Joe, a lot of labor people I've talked to this week are absolutely alarmed by this development. I don't really know how this affects the election, but, you know, it doesn't seem like this is a net positive if you're trying to get the get the people out there. Well, I think it makes it more difficult for someone like McCaskill to, let's say, do public events with Stanger or do public events with a council chairman, Sam Page. If you notice, there hasn't been that. Yeah. And so I think that um, if they're going to try to up uh, turnout in St. Louis County, A, the time is, A, time is slipping away. B, 
they may be having to lean more on these ballot issues, like the ones uh, that would legalize marijuana, um, like the one that would increase the minimum wage, like the uh, controversial one dubbed Clean Missouri, which has to do with some um, various issues related to Jeff City. But the point is, for the most part, there's like been limited ads and stuff run on any of those. But I think to gin up turnout, especially in the county, they may need to rely on that because they can't rely on having a big uh, photo op with all these Democrats standing together because most of them can't stand each other. I'm not really sure about the numbers, but I would I would guess that there are probably more African-Americans living in St. Louis County now than in St. Louis City. Is That's that been that way for a while. It's been that way for a while. If, 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 if it... If African-Americans make up 25 percent of the population, that's 250,000 people. And I, I would say that, you know, even someone like Councilwoman Hazel Irby, who has obviously had her issues with Steve Singer, appeared at like Claire McCaskill events. Yeah, I, Irby is very close to McCaskill. Irby is not going to be like, don't vote for McCaskill because I'm mad at Stinger, even though McCaskill and Bob McCullough have been allies for years, if not several decades. But I do want to play this clip from that aforementioned council meeting, which kind of showcases the longstanding tensions between organized labor and African-American political officials. And so many times minorities are laid off once they finish apprenticeship and they cannot go into the journeyman's program. They cut you off right there. So, no, they have not been fair. But if they want to be fair now, let's see if they will continue to have the apprenticeship programs, whether they it's mandated or not. I would imagine if any business, building trades, anything, if you show up and go to work and can pass a drug test, you're going to work these days. So. Oh, what a racist remark. That's not racist. Yes, that's it is, because business. that's what you say I when you try say, to I say I said any business, any Yes, people. it is. Why would you say that? Because why would, anybody, why wouldn't, anybody if people who goes work, into work show up? Can sh- I didn't say any certain people. I just said I'm anybody. I said anybody. I mean, that's my job. I help minorities and women get into into the trades. That's what I do. Right. That's why you voted for this bill last time. I'm telling you, anybody who wants any person who wants a job these days, if you're willing to go to work, there's jobs available. I don't care what you look like, where you come from, who you are. There's work out there. By the way, that's Councilwoman Hazel Irby and Councilman Pat Dolan, both Democrats, by the way, which kind of showcases this disunity that I kind of alluded to before. And and Do- Do- Dolan has strong labor ties as a labor official, and he actually lost his primary to uh, a, a young progressive Democrat who is more tied to um, some of the factions within the Democratic Party that are not so, not anti-union, but just not as close. I mean, going beyond this election, though, I think the fact that there's this perception that organized labor and Stanger are one and the same is going to mean that the council is going to go after after organized labor in the next four years. I think, well, I think they're going to have to be careful. I think there's several Democrats on the council that um, are sensitive to this and cl- and who will pro- who will be on the ballot in 2020. But, count- I mean, Sam Page, you mentioned before, voted for this. I'm just saying that I was there the week before when there was some debate about the bill, and I talked to him afterwards, and at that point, he told me that he thought there was going to be changes made over the course of that week to make, um, in effect, to make it more um, 
conciliatory with labor. Apparently that did not happen. And now we go to the last topic, and that is the news out of Kansas City that Jason Kander, the former Secretary of State in Missouri, is getting out of the Kansas City mayor's race and is getting help for post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. Uh, This was, I think, the week's biggest news because Kander has become a national figure since he unsuccessfully ran for the U.S. Senate in 2016. And barely lost. And a lot of people, especially on the Democratic side, uh, look up to him. They follow what his activism even after he lost that race. And he clearly has a megaphone that resounds not just in Missouri anymore. Um, Joe, when you heard this news, what was your reaction? I was very surprised, I think like a lot of people. Um, I had just talked to him. Well, it's been a few months. But at that point, he was really, really engaged in what was going on. He was just getting ready to launch his bid for Kansas City mayor. Um, he has a best-selling book. He's He has created this national group, Let America Vote. I mean, uh, and that is really a voting rights group that has really uh, been getting a lot of headlines, has been very active and encouraging uh, voter registration in a number of states. He's become somewhat of a among the Demo- young Democratic spokespeople. Um, he's been on cable news all the time. So from that standpoint, it was somewhat stunning because he has become one of the newer, younger faces of the Democratic Party. From his note, he said all of that seemed to be a showcase that things were going well. But then he said, I'm done hiding this from myself and from the world. When I wrote in my book that I was lucky to not have PTSD, I was trying to convince myself and I wasn't sharing the full picture. I still have nightmares. I am depressed. By the way, Kander served in Afghanistan as a Army intelligence officer. Instead of dealing with these issues, I've always tried to find a way around them. Most recently, I thought that if I could come home and work for the city I love so much as its mayor, I could finally solve my problems. I thought if I focused exclusively on service to my hometown, to my neighbors in my hometown, that I could fill the hole inside of me but it's just getting worse. After 11 years of trying to outrun depression and PTSD symptoms, I have finally concluded that it's faster than me, that I have to stop running, turn around, and confront it. Um, You know, I think you were just on St. Louis on the Air, and there's been some comparisons to Kander and Tom Eagleton. I obviously never knew Tom Eagleton because when I started my professional journalism career, It was like 2006, 2007. I think he was in declining health at that point in time. But I've read a lot about Thomas Eagleton. And I was always very dismayed that the only thing that a lot of people think about is how he was bounced from George McGovern's ticket because it was revealed he had suffered from depression and had electroshock therapy. And that's where people just stop caring about him in history. What they don't talk about is that even after that episode— He was reelected to the Senate twice. He managed to have a very impressive career in the U.S. Senate, despite having, you know, pretty substantial mental health issues. And I really I really believe that type of thing should be Thomas Eagleton's legacy, not the McGovern situation. If he had been on McGovern's ticket, nobody would remember him because he would have lost. And I, I think that Kander is maybe taking things a step further because he has such a big audience by saying, you know, all this stuff is going right for me. 
but I still suffer from a lot of mental health issues and I'm going to take care of myself before putting myself out there. I know it's a long jumbled observation, but I'm sure you thought of Eagleton too, given yeah. having known him. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to um, spend over 20 years covering him and um, it was an honor. Uh, he was a very magnetic figure. Um, he was definitely a leader in the Senate during his time there. Uh, but, yeah, he, he was always grappling with some issues, but he rose above it. I mean, everybody, in all, most major politicians, I mean, they're not, you know, holier than thou. I mean, they all have issues. And uh, I think in, in Eagleton's case, um, because of what happened to him, I think he was more self-aware. People forget he uh, retired from the Senate. He was only in his 50s. Yeah. And uh, partly um, he was just like he was tired of raising money. He wanted to come home and do something else. Uh, He felt there was just too much stress. So then he turned to writing. He was a regular op-ed writer for the Post-Dispatch for years. And um, he got involved. You know, he's a lawyer. He got involved in a number of things. I mean, frankly, Tom Eagleton is a key reason why the Rams ended up here. And... um, he was just, as I said, he was someone who grappled with that. We had a couple discussions about the 70s thing. It was still a touchy issue for him. But I just want to point out, before we get back to candor, when he was asked by McGovern's aide, do you have any skeletons in your closet when he was chosen, he said no. Because well, that that was at the time. Because didn't. he didn't believe that t- getting treatment for depression was a skeleton in his closet. I think that was actually kind of a far-sighted view, that he didn't view his mental health struggles as something that was problematic, even though there's still a really substantial stigma around it. And Jason Kander mentioned this in his note, that one of the reasons he's going public with this is that he wants to make it easier for people to talk about their mental health issues. And actually, his opponent, U.S. Senator Roy Blunt from 2016, mentioned in a tweet that, you know, he's glad that Candor did that because, in his view, more people have to be open about their mental health struggles to erase that type of stigma. I mean, and to be fair to Blunt, more so, I thought it was a very classy tweet he had, but Blunt has also, last year or two, been pretty much in the forefront among Republicans in the Senate as far as trying to get federal money um, for uh, mental health research, for mental health programs, that's been kind of one of the things that he's been focusing on. And I think, you know, this whole debate, unfortunately, we have to mention um, former state auditor Tom Schweik, you know, who killed himself in uh, January 2015. And um, he, you know, had his own personal demons. And it's sad because he was a very brilliant man in some degree. And if he had been able to get the help he needed or felt that comfortable with going public with some of this, he might still be with us. You know, Joe and I like to joke like I, you know, she started doing all these things before I was born. But Candor is probably one of the few politicians I've followed pretty much from start to finish. So when I heard this news, I obviously was very affected by it, even though we have a reporter source relationship. It's not like Jason Candor is like my my best friend or anything. But, you know, I do think that what he did will have a tremendous impact on a lot of people. Um, I think people will look and see what he did and say, I'm a successful person, but I still suffer from 
mental mental health problems that I need to, to take care of. If at least one person decides to see a therapist or to get treatment for some, some mental health issue because of this, I think it may end up being more impactful than anything he's ever run for. Well, and I think some of it, you know, we'll see what happens down the road for him. Uh, I'm very confident he has a bright future for himself. I think, uh, you know, once he feels comfortable and he has the treatment, if he gets back into politics, let's say in a few years, I think he will then be another example of showing how you can uh, be upfront with your demons, because we all have them. Yes. And, and, I, then, and then move forward. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Have a good weekend. Sponsored by Lou Fuse Alfa Romeo of Metro East.